Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Kennard speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Uh, before I get into the Bible study today, we're going to check on some major headlines that I think we need to be aware of as uh, things wind down here. And as I've been telling you in the previous broadcast, we need to prepare uh, for some uh, tough times ahead here. Uh, you may have heard this for more uh, decades ago, but uh, there's no doubt if you've been looking at the news lately that uh, we are definitely in what the Bible calls the end times uh, before the coming of the Christ or the Messiah. Now, um, I just uh, Googled, actually I put in uh, the search box here, watch.org, W-A-T-C-H dot org. I suggest that um, you go to this website frequently and check out what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, this This guy does a real good job of uh, telling us what's going on in the Middle East. So, and on this uh, website, it says, Iran Commander, we have reached a faithful stage. Uh, members of Iran's top leadership brass on Friday expressed concern about the state of the Islamic Republic as the economy continues to spiral due to international sanctions. Uh, so they, they are suffering. Uh, that's good. But you need to keep track of what's going on here. Um, as I read down this website, there's a headline stating the fact uh, American officials tell Israel they are overplaying hand with Iran. Iran's supreme leaders, Ayatollah Khomeini, preparing for war in the West in the next 12 weeks. So Iran's supreme leaders, Ayatollah Khomeini, preparing for war within the next 12 weeks. So um, we need to, to look at the Middle East. Uh, things are going to start in Jerusalem, and they will end in Jerusalem with the coming of the Messiah Christ when he lands his feet on the Mount of Olives. Now, here's uh, some news for the United States, for United States citizens. Uh, states here on CNN Money, you can Google this for yourself, low-paying jobs are here to stay. That's right, low-paying jobs are here to stay. And this article was done by CNN Money. Uh, New Yorker was written uh, by Tammy Luby. And the states here, stuck in a job with lousy pay, better get used to it. Some 28% of workers are expected to hold low-wage jobs in, in 2020, roughly the same percentage as in 2010, according to a study by the Economic Policy Institute. And that's an excellent website, by the way. Um, Google that, and uh, you should put that in your favorite places because it really tells you the true story of the economy. It's 
something that you won't get out of these politicians. Uh, the study defines low-paying jobs as those with wages at or below what full-time workers must earn to live above the poverty level for a family of four. In 2011, this was $23,005 or $11.06 an hour. The economy won't support much growth in jobs with higher salaries, said Rebecca Thies, policy analyst at the left-leaning Economic Policy Institute, who crunched government data to come up with these projections. Far too many economic pundits take for granted that the economy of the future will demand far greater skills and credentials, she wrote in a recent paper. Let me underscore that again. Far too many economic pundits, these are people who are supposed to be experts and wise and all that, take for granted that the e economy of the future will demand far greater skills and credentials. That's why it's very important to continue to educate yourself. That's what I tell other people. Uh, whether you're minorities or not, you have to educate yourself. Keep track of what's going on. And what's going on right now is this is this is an information economy, and we need to become experts on how to use the PC. If you can read and write, you can do this. And if you can't read or write, they have government-free programs that help you do that. So there's no excuse. You just got to have the desire to want to do it. So you must get greater skills and credentials, and that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm studying to, to get a doctorate degree in business administration. Uh, I'm trying to do all I can to better myself. Do you have to get degrees to be successful? No, but you have to have credentials or a trade, something that is of value, uh, fixing cars. Um, that's something I'm going to learn how to do in the future, um, how to be a plumber, um, a carpenter. That's something I'm interested in as well, in particular, our Lord and Savior was a carpenter, so that's the reason why I'm really interested in it. But anyway, those are trades that you do with your hands, and they're profitable trades. Uh, repairing a PC is a profitable trade. Designing programs is a profitable trade. Uh, pick the thing that you like and get the education, enough education to be able to generate livable, what I call livable income. Now, let me continue on with this article. While all eyes are on Friday's monthly jobs report to find out how many positions were added in July, a growing number of economists are concerned with the quality of the jobs being created. Lower-wage occupations grew by 3.2% over the year, ending in the first quarter of 2011, according to the National Employment Law Project. This was fueled mainly by the expansion of retail salespeople, office clerks, cashiers, food preparation workers, and store clerks whose median hourly wages range from $7.51 to $13.52. So that that's the snapshot there. Now it says debt busters. This is the subheading of this article. Four of the five occupations with the highest concentration of low-salary jobs are set to grow by 2020. These include farming, personal care, building and grounds maintenance, and health care support. All have at least 45% of their employees earning at or below so-called poverty wages. Only food preparation jobs, which have the greatest share of low-wage workers at nearly 74%, are expected to shrink a bit. And lousy-paying jobs are getting even lousier as their pay has fallen. Workers at this end of the pay scale actually found their wages shrank in recent years, according to NELP. Between early 2008 and early 2011, low-wage workers' median pay contracted by 2.3%, more than double the rate of mid-wage employees. 
Meanwhile, higher-wage workers enjoyed a small increase in pay. Mid-wage jobs, which were hit especially hard during the recession, expanded only 1.2%. Higher salary occupations declined by 1.2%. And then here's another subheading here. Um, it says from six figures to 15000 That's unfortunate, but that's what's happening to quite a few people in the United States. They were used to making six figures. Now they're just making 15000 That's how bad the economy is right now. The predominance of low-wage jobs is not good for either workers or the economy, said John Schmidt, a senior economist, economist rather, at the Center for Economic and Policy Research. These jobs often lack pension benefits and health insurance, as well as sick days and vacation time. There is also little path for advancement. If workers are making low wages, they can't afford to shop and prop up the American economy. That's how the economy is propped up. That's how it's energized by people spending money. But, of course, if people have lower wages, then they can't spend the money that they work. So there will be a decline in the overall American economy, or any economy for that matter. Around two-thirds of the economy is consumer spending. So you see that's 66%. So we see how this is going to affect the economy in the months ahead. Also, since low-wage workers are better educated now than they have been in the past, college may increasingly seem like a questionable expense. They will start asking whether college is worth it, Schmidt said. And it is worth it. You just have to study in the subject areas that are in demand. Software engineering is, has always been in demand, or computer science. Uh, you have to pick fields, uh, business, um, despite what some people think. Getting a degree or an MBA is still worth it. Uh, getting a doctorate in business administration is, a, is a, definitely a good degree to go for. So you need to find out. You can click on the most demand, um, the most profitable degrees to get in the subject areas, and then you go for those. Go for whatever you feel comfortable with, whatever you feel that you would like. That's what I would do. But college is not the only answer to education. You could uh, go to a technical school or trade school and learn how to be a carpenter or learn how to be an auto mechanic or a plumber or, or some, some proven blue-collar work that also generates just as much as a white-collar um, employee or even more. Or start your own business. So those are things that, that um, I suggest that anyone that's listening to me do in this tough economy right now. And if you're going to work for somebody or even if you're going to start a business, I'll try to uh, look at the economy, look at what's in demand, what's, look at what's recession or depression-proof, and stick to those markets, stick to those industries. Okay. Um, we're still suffering from tremendous heat. Uh, there is a, um, a tropical storm right now that can end up being a hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico. So we need to pay attention to that as well because um, one of the programs that I did uh, do recently, God in the Weather, God does speak through the weather, and he, he blesses or curses us through the weather, folks. And right now it looks like there's a lot of cursing going on because of our attitude t toward homosexuality as, unfortunately, our president stated, um, well, if two people are the same sex, uh, they ought to get married. You know, So he, he endorses uh, uh, same-sex marriage, something that God uh, does not endorse. Uh, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, doesn't endorse it either. If you look at Matthew chapter 19, the first few verses there, you can see that he taught that marriage is between a man and a woman. So anyway, 
Let's get on with the Bible study here. Should we love the things in the world? This is a major problem for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people love this world. I mean, they love the things in the world. They love the movies. They love the video games. They, they, and they, and these things stop them from having a, a, a real, true, and joyful, and peaceful relationship with the Creator. They let these things get to them so much. You know, sports and entertainment. All that is nice, folks, but when you let it get in the way of a relationship with God, if you think that listening to me for 90 minutes to two hours is boring versus looking at a tennis match or um, playing video games or looking at Batman or Spider-Man, you've got a serious problem. You've got a serious problem, I have to tell you that. You, you, you're not, you, you put it this way, you're going to have some difficulty entering the kingdom of God with that type of attitude. You've got to change. You've got to do teshuva. You've got to repent. Teshuva is uh, repent in Hebrew. You have to do teshuva, repent, repent. That's what the gospel is all about, folks. And let's turn to John chapter 3 to begin this Bible study because God doesn't hate mankind. Let's, let's understand it. He doesn't hate mankind. He just wants mankind to change. So much so that what? You know, this is a very popular scripture that and entertainment, in particular football games, they when they're going for their team, they 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 write John three verse sixteen on the sign like that. Like God is really concerned about a football game, other than the fact that He hopes that no one gets injured. Um, but anyway, John three verse sixteen, one of the most famous scriptures quoted out of the Bible: "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish." but have everlasting life. All right, so that's true. God loved this world so much that he gave something of himself, his words, his, his living word, the word of God, Yeshua. He gave that. He gave that for all of mankind. So all of mankind would have an opportunity, would have an opportunity for eternal life. So that's very important to understand that, but most people don't read the rest of the verses here. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he that believeth on him, I'm reading the King James, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, how do we believe? Because the Greek thought is like, well, we have these beliefs and we believe and that's it. But Greek thought does not teach us to do deeds, to be moral. All Greek thought is interested in is knowledge, getting knowledge, acknowledging that we know this, and that's it. And and, and that, that's, that's what Greek thought is all about. That's what we were raised in. That's why we have difficulties understanding the Bible, which you have to look at through a magnifying glass of uh, a Jew. And if you don't do that, if you don't uh, refer to Jews uh, and and refer to particular Jews that do believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if you don't do that, or somebody like myself who has been trained by Jews that believe in the Messiah, that understand the Hebraics of, of the Bible, you're going to be confused. You're going to be very confused. Verse 19 of John chapter 3, and this is the condemnation, this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, that light is the Messiah, as explained in, 
in James, or not James, but John chapter 1, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than the Messiah or the light because their deeds were evil. Uh-oh, so belief has something to do with what you do, right? Now we're talking Hebraically now. Verse 20, for everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light. So if you don't want to read the Bible, if you don't want to do daily Bible study, if, if what I'm telling you today is boring to you, you don't want to come to the light. You love the darkness. You want to be in the darkness because your actions are betraying you. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither cometh to the light, that not his deed should be exposed. But he that does truth, what's truth? Psalm 119, verse 172. Truth is the teachings of God or the Torah. That's law should be, well, actually, law, the original Hebrew word in the Old Testament is Torah, which means the teachings and doctrines and laws of God. But he that does truth comes to the light. You have to do truth. You can't say truth and believe truth. You have to do it. Do truth comes to the light, comes to the Messiah, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So that's understanding the true context of John 3, verse 16. Now, Let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Starting in verse 15. Now, we have the same word love, but in a different context here. Uh, John chapter 2 verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, of course, he's not telling us not to love the people in the world. He's talking about not loving the evil wickedness or wicked activity that most people in the world do. That's not what that's what we are not to love. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, verse sixteen interprets what loving uh, what uh, we are not to love in the world. Verse sixteen: For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, what you look at, the lust of the flesh, what you desire, and the pride of life, that word pride in the Greek is uh, braggadocio, or actually, no, it means braggadocio, uh, self-confidence, having confidence in yourself, is not of the Father, but is of the world. I'm going to underscore this so you understand, and I will read this in a different version so it will be more clearer to you in a Hebraic version. It says, Because all the things in the world, the desires of the old nature, which is the lust of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pretensions of life are not from the Father but from, a, from the world. Let me see if I can read this in a, even a clearer version than this. Our foolish pride comes from the from this world, and so do our selfish desires and our desire to have everything we see. That's a, even a better translation there. That's in the contemporary English version of the Bible. And then what's the uh, Bible in basic English version state here? Um, have no love for the world or for the things which are in the world. Well, actually, no, verse 16. Because everything in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life, the same translation there. To see what the New American Standard Bible Version they the same thing. But actually it says the boastful pride of life, which is a pretty good translation as well. Uh, let's see. 
Yeah, and the English Standard Version of the Bible, it states uh, the pride in possessions. So the pride of life can also be the, the pride in what you got, which Yeshua stated in Luke chapter 12, life is not about that. Let's turn there. Hold your place here. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Because many people think that's what your life is about, what you have and, and so forth, you know, and it's not. It really isn't, but unfortunately people have been taught uh, that that's the most important thing to focus on. Let's see if I can find it here. It's in Luke 12 here. Luke chapter 12. Here we go. Luke 12, verse 15. Luke 12, verse 15, says, Then to the people he said, Be careful to guard against all forms of greed, because even if someone is rich, his life does not consist in what he owns. And yet people think that, especially Americans, we think that our life consists of the things that we possess. And I just read you a scripture that our Lord and Savior, the real one in the Bible, not the one that ministers deceive you into thinking um, uh, some false Messiah, false Christ, that they deceive you about. That's what I was trying to say. But um, getting back to this pivotal scripture here. Now, let's focus on what the... Um, well, first, what I want you to understand, because most people don't understand it. They've been brainwashed by their ministers and from from their families and so forth. But you have to understand, first of all, that this world is evil, folks. I'm going to read this in complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. Galatians 1, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins, so that, that's talking about the Messiah, so that he might deliver us from this present evil world system. That's a very, very good translation there. King James Version said this present evil world. But it is a system. And I explained in, in my program, what is the beast? That system consists of a geopolitical, educational, religious, false system that has ruled this world for years. For years. And again, this scripture, Galatians 1 verse 4, who gave himself for our sins so that he might deliver us from the present evil world system and obedience to the will of God our Father. So we have to be delivered from this present evil world system. First uh, John 5 verse 17. Verse 19 rather. First John 5, verse 19, we know that we are from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, the evil one certainly isn't Jesus or Yeshua or God the Father or, or the righteous angels, so we know that the evil one definitely must be talking about the devil. Because, you know, many people don't think this world is wicked. They think it's okay, you know, it's fun. Let's do what we want to do. Make our own decisions. Yeah, true, you can make on your own decisions, but... As an adult, you have to be responsible for your decisions <laughs> and realize if you make the wrong decisions, you will be punished. It doesn't make a difference how old you are. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 11. This is what God says, one of his prophecies that he spoke through the prophet Isaiah. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. No one's going to get away with sinning, folks. You are going to get punished. But he's going to punish the world because most people in the world are wicked. What I mean by that, most people practice wickedness on a consistent basis. I will punish the world for its evil, because why would God punish the world if that wasn't true? I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. 
I will end the arrogance of the proud and humble the insolence of tyrants. Verse 12, I will make humans rarer than gold, scarcer than offers pure gold. This is why I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place at the wrath of Adonai on the day of his fierce anger. And it's talking about the day when the Messiah comes and lands his feet on the Mount of Olives, which is described in Zechariah chapter 14. Folks, you know, I'm trying to do all I can. If you are going to be alive at this time, and you may be, when he comes back, if you want to stay alive, uh, and I mean stay alive in two ways, uh, spiritually or physically or both, you need to pay attention to what I'm telling you today, and you need to do the first basic doctrine of God. You need to understand it, repent, repentance from dead works. From dead works. That's found in Hebrews uh, chapter six, verse one. And I did a program on that repentance from dead works. Read it. You got to do that first before God will put His Holy Spirit in you. Before God even have your, the Holy Spirit around you, for that matter. But anyway, Isaiah, Isaiah, chapter twenty-six, beginning in verse twenty. Come, my people, enter your rooms, shut your doors behind you, hide yourselves for a little while until the wrath is past. For see, Adonai, which means uh, the Lord in Hebrew, emerges from his place to punish those on the earth for their sin. Then the earth will reveal the blood shed on it and no longer conceal its slain. See, so uh, we we're going to go do some tough times, folks. Um, I you know I, I am a uh, messenger of God, a servant of God, and didn't ask to be that, but I am and. One of my responsibilities is to warn people. And I see the handwriting on the wall, folks. I see what's going on in the Middle East. They, the United States have ships there. Um, Iran is preparing, They're preparing their people uh, to, to have emergency food. Uh, things are going on in the Middle East right now, folks. And it uh, looks like a war is going to be occurring here. I can't predict when, but people don't prepare their military armaments uh, to go play. Obviously, there's going to be a war. Christ predicted there would be wars and rumors of wars in Matthew 24, verse 6, during this end time. Major wars. We've already had two already, World War One, World War Two, World War Three is coming, folks. Everyone knows that. And it looks like it could occur this year. I don't know. But whether it does or not, you better be prepared because it's going to come. I just can't tell you when. But um, the Bible tells you in Luke 21, verse 34 to 36, to look and to observe. And what I'm seeing right now looks like it could happen. So you need to be looking, too, and preparing. Get emergency food. Go to efoodsdirect.com. I don't get paid for referring you to that website. I'm just doing it because I have a concern for, for mankind. I have a concern for anybody, any human being. They're my brothers and sisters. And uh, I hate to see any of you die unnecessarily not being prepared. You do that, but the number one thing you need to do is listen to me and listen to other people to know what they're talking about as far as the Bible is concerned and to change your life. That's the best thing that you can do to make sure that God protects you, whether it's physically or allows you to enter his kingdom. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 66, the overall goal is eternal life, not physical life, eternal life. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 15, For look, Adonai, the Lord, will come in fire. 
and his chariots will be like the whirlwind to render his anger furiously, his rebuke or his correction with blazing fire. So he's going to come with fire, folks. Verse 16. For Adonai will judge all humanity with fire and with the sword. And those slain by the Adonai will be many, unfortunately, folks. I mean, I, I, I'm reading you the scriptures, and this is what God tells us. When Yeshua comes back on the earth, folks, it's not going to be pretty. Everybody's not going to jump up and down and say hooray. All right, uh, let me let me let me uh, let me prove this to you. Revelation chapter eleven: The world will get so wicked that when the Messiah comes, people are not going to be jumping up and down. The whole world's not going to jump up and down, and they're going to be. Uh, they're just not going to react the way you think anyone would react when our Lord and Savior comes back. All right, let me uh, find this in the King James here. Revelation 11. Uh, King James says they were angry. Let's see what this says. Okay, yeah, in the Hebrew, in the complete Jewish Bible, says, and the going raged the Gentiles, I mean, the people in the world. And it says, but now your rage has come, the time for the dead to be judged, the time for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your holy people, those who stand in awe of your name, both small and great. It is also the time for destroying those who destroy the earth. So when it was announced uh, in this chapter that uh, the world has become the, um, the father's world and then his son's world, then people got upset about that. <laughs> See, so, so that in the King James Version, even a better translation, say, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come. They were angry because that's how wicked the world has become, folks. People are not going to like this announcement, and I'm looking forward to hearing this when it happens. But Revelation 11, verse 15, And the seven angels sounded, there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And see, you may be wondering, okay, well, if this verse is saying that the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, well, who who, who, what, who um, rules these kingdoms right now? Well, or who rules the world right now or the kingdoms of the world? Well, that's a good question. Let's, let's find out the answer to that question, folks. Um, but well, actually, I'm going to tell you right up front, and I'm going to show you scriptures later on, the devil is the prince of this world. The devil is the god of this world. And God has allowed him to rule this earth for a reason. Anyway, Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Read this in the complete Jewish Bible version. You have wearied Adonai of the Lord with your words, yet you ask, how have we wearied him? By saying that anyone who does wrong is good, from Adonai's perspective, and that he is delighted with them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? And that's what, unfortunately, our president, Obama, has done, not just with um, the homosexuality issue, but with other things, um, stating that, hey, two people, uh, if they are the same sex, they ought to get married. That's, that's saying uh, whoever does wrong is good from Adonai's perspective, and, and it's not. And he tried to also use the scripture, he misapplied it, took it out of context, we ought to treat people the way we would like to be treated. That has, <laughs> I mean, that's true, but in terms of direct violation of uh, one of God's major laws as far as homosexuality, that doesn't apply. You, you show that you love somebody uh, by keeping the law of God toward them. 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read this in the King James Version. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Now, of course, we know that that happened in the first century, but this is a dual application, folks. Listen. Even the messenger of the covenant, and that word messenger means angel, the angel of the covenant, whom you delight in. He's talking about the Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2, but who may abide the day of his coming? This is talking about his second coming, not his first coming. And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. I just quote the scripture where it says he's going to come with fire, right? And like fuller's soap. Verse 3, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. How do you purify silver? With fire. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So offerings will be reinstituted again because the temple will be built. Uh, as it states here in verse 1, he will come to his temple. That means the temple will be built before he comes back. Verse 4, then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. So there is scriptural proof that the sacrifices will be reinstituted again. Verse 5, And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages. I just read you an article about that, about low-paying wages. The widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, says the Lord of hosts. And the rest talks about how stingy people are in this end time, not giving to Torah teachers like myself and and so forth. And um, it states right over here, in verse, Malachi 3, verse 18, Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serve him not. And that should be the goal of anyone that wants to become a true believer, to educate yourself biblically to understand what's right and what's wrong. Malachi 4, verse 1. For behold, the day comes. I uh, quote this uh, scripture in uh, Bible dramatic audio form at the end of each and every program. Anyway, Malachi 4, verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. So there's going to be a day that's like an oven. If you ever stuck your hand in the oven, you, uh, that's, that's the way the earth's going to be at this time when the Messiah lands his feet on the Mount of Olives. And all the proud, yes, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Now, you want to avoid this day, folks. And to be able to do that, you need to listen to what I'm telling you, and you need to do Teshuvah. You need to repent from your wicked attitudes and from your wicked actions and deeds. That's the only way you're going to avoid this day, whether it's you being alive when he comes back, or being resurrected at the great white throne judgment and then uh, judged guilty and thrown in the lake of fire. Anyway, Malachi 4, verse 2, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. You shall go forth and grow up as the cows of the stout. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts. Let's turn to what our Messiah, the Christ, stated in Matthew chapter 13, about this day that shall burn as an oven. Matthew chapter 13, verse 37. 
He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked. Verse 39 of Matthew chapter 13. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, which we are living in the generation of the end of the world, folks, the end of the way man is ruling this world. And the reapers are the angels. Verse 40. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. Verse 41 of Matthew chapter 13. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But, you know, the righteous, you're going to have a better future than that. Verse 43. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who have ears, and boy, who have ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear that. So that's the future that I am striving to be a part of, and that's the future that each and every one who has common sense will want to be a part of that future versus the one where you're going to be cast into a furnace of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Revelation, chapter 14. I talked about the the mark of the beast. I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but whatever it is, it has something to do with socioeconomics, has something to do with the ability to survive. And you don't want to accept that mark. And if you do accept that mark, this is what the third angel announces here uh, during the time before the seven last plagues are executed. Revelation 14, verse 9, and the, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, verse 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment, not them, but the smoke of their torment, ascends up forever or continuously. And they have no rest day or night. Yeah, they, they won't have any rest day or night because they're going to be dead. Who worship the beast and his image and whoever received the mark of his name. So you don't want to be put in that category, folks. If you are still alive at the becoming of the Messiah, you don't want to accept the mark of the beast, because if you do, I just read to you what your fate will be. All right, so that is the baptism of fire. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, explains this even more in the King James Version. Then said he, and this is uh, Johannan the Immerser, or John the Baptist, then said he to the multitude that came forth to be immersed or baptized of him, O generation of vipers, this is a prophecy because there's many vipers today as well. O generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come. I already told you about that wrath. He's going to confirm what I just told you here. Verse 8. Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. Fruits means deeds, your actions, your works, despite what many false ministers have probably taught you. And begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham or Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Trees in this context is talking about human beings. Axe is punishment. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire. God is not playing. I mean, he came in the form of his son as a lamb. 
the first time. When he comes the second time, he's coming as a lion. And you don't want to get a lion angry. You know what happens when you get a lion angry, don't you? Anyway, verse 10. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? Verse 11. He answered and said unto them, He that has two coats, let him impart to him that has none, and he that has no meat or food. That's what it means in the original Greek, food. Let him do likewise. Verse 12. Then came also publicans, or tax collectors, to be immersed or baptized, and said unto them, Master, what shall we do? Verse 13, he said unto them, Exact no more than which is appointed you. And we have a problem with this in the United States with our interest rates and credit cards and charging all this extra stuff. That's a sin to do that. Verse 14, And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man. And this is talking about unnecessary violence. Neither accuse any falsely. And be content with your wages. Are any of us content with our wages? We should be content with our wages. We should not be content being in debt. That's what we should not be content with. Romans 13 verse 8 tells us to owe no man anything but love. So we should do all we can to get out of debt. And you should it's nothing wrong with increasing your income, but you should not be horrifyingly... Uh, not satisfied with what you're making, especially in this economy today, or any economy, but especially this one. You ought to be lucky to have a job today. It is so bad. And, and you know, unemployment went up 8.3. That's not the real uh, unemployment rate. Look up U6, unemployment rate, and it's around 17 to 18%. That includes all um, facets of society in regards to unemployment, even those that aren't looking for a job. But anyway, um, the unemployment rate that you hear in the media is the U3 um, rate, which is not really a true picture of the economy. U6 is the, is the true unemployment rate, and it's in the teens, folks. It's not single digits. Anyway, Luke 3, verse 15, And as the people were in, expect, in expectation, and all men mused in the hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, verse 16 of John, uh, I'm sorry, Luke, this is in Luke chapter 3, Everything I've been quoting to you so far is uh, Luke chapter 3. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed immerse or baptize you with water, but one mightier than I comes, and the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall immerse you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I already told you about that baptism in fire. You don't want to be a part of that unless it's for cleansing your sins and allowing you to live, which is another type, but... The one that he's certainly talking about here is the baptism of fire that will destroy you. Verse 17, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the shaft he will burn with fire unquenchable. And you don't want to be a part of that. You don't want to be a part of that. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. See, this is, this is the reason why I go to the prophetic books, because Peter commands us, or God through Peter commands us to do it, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets 
and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So this one scripture tells us that we need to pay attention to both the Old and the New Testament. Verse 3 of Second Peter chapter 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Verse 5. For this they are willingly, not stupidly, but willingly are ignorant of, because they want to be ignorant, they, they want to avoid the word of God, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire. Here we go again with fire. Against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men, which will start when the Messiah lands his feet on the Mount of Olives. Verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Jews have correctly taught that there's approximately a 6,000-year plan that God has for mankind. And we're close, or we may have exceeded past the 6,000 years. Verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. But that all, he, her, his desire is for everyone to, to repent. But unfortunately, we know the prophecies state that some will be tossed in a lake of fire. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord, this is the actual day that, again, the Messiah will land his feet on the Mount of Olives, will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are in it, talking about the evil works that are in it, shall be burned up, purified. Verse 11, saying that all these things shall be dissolved, all the wickedness and the, uh, the things that need to be cleaned up, purified on the earth. What? Matter of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness. Verse 12, looking for and hastening, and my wife was talking to someone the other day, they don't like prophecy. Well, you better start liking prophecy because he states here, looking for and hastening until the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Our Lord and Savior is a prophet. We should have the spirit of prophecy in us. Hold your place and turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Verse 10, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, See that you don't do it. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We should have the spirit of prophecy of future history. We should want to know what's going to happen in the future. The Bible tells us this. There's nothing wrong with studying prophecy and preparing for the day of the Lord, as outlined here in verse 12 of Second Peter chapter 3, looking for and hastening until the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look, for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. That's one of the reasons why God tells us not to love this world. This world, the way it is, is going to be destroyed. It's not going to be in existence anymore. It's going to be a beautiful world that's going to um, 
evolve from that or be brought forth after this the wickedness in this world is burnt up and destroyed. So that's the reason why we we shouldn't leave, uh, love this world. And if you do, you got a problem. You need to repent. Second Corinthians, and I'm talking about the wickedness of the world, not the people. Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, verse three to four. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. The gospel is only hid to those who are lost, folks. They they just don't know. It's like you're in the forest and it's dark time. You don't know where you're going. That that's the way most people are spiritually right now. They don't understand the Bible. They don't understand what the purpose. What what is the purpose of your existence? They don't understand that. Verse four: In whom the God of this world, that's the devil, of course, has blinded because God wouldn't blind you like the devil would. Has blinded the minds of them which believe not that not the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And the devil is responsible for blinding most people with understanding the Bible. The devil is the prince of this world, folks. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And he's talking about the fact that he was going to give his life for mankind. And that one act judged the devil. And the devil's already been judged guilty. And he will pay the penalty for being guilty uh, when... Yeshua lands his feet on the Mount of Olives, one of the first things he's going to do is get the devil after he has tossed the uh, the beast and the false prophet in the lake of fire. He's going to toss the devil in the um, bottomless pit or I don't know if it's a black hole or whatever he's going to toss him in, but he's going to be uh, taken away from a thousand years. So he can't deceive the nations anymore. All right. And... Case in point, he says in, in John 12, verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And then in verse 32, And if, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, would draw all men unto me. He's talking about his crucifixion, of course. Okay. Um, let's look at another scripture here. John 14, verse 30. John 14, verse 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world comes and has nothing in me or you know he has he doesn't really particularly like him <laughs> but but anyway um John 16 verse 11 of judgment because the prince of this world is judged so he's already been judged guilty and when he comes back, the good news is that he's going to be put away for a thousand years. He's going to come back shortly, as outlined in Revelation chapter 20, to deceive the uh, people that are pretenders during that particular period of time. And then uh, God is going to just totally wipe out everyone, including the devil, and just destroy wickedness there. So, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you... Have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time, this is talking about believers, true believers, that actually believe that the entire law should be kept. Uh, verse 2, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince, here we go again, he's the prince of this world, he's also prince of the atmosphere, prince of the power in the air, 
the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And it's talking about adults as well as little kids. Verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, and we're talking about the first one here, lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. When we go to these silly movies, Batman, Spider-Man, most of these other movies that have violence in it, uh, makes Batman and Spider-Man look like uh, uh, immaculate uh, things to look at versus the, the the majority of movies that most people look at when it has violence and sex and so forth. That's what it's talking about. That's how you're fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath. If you play video games where you're shooting up things, you know, uh, when you're just focusing too much on the PC and focusing too much on TV, focusing too much on anything, really. If you don't put God first with anything that you do, then you're sinning. You're, you're fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we got to be very careful not to do that, folks. In Ephesians chapter 6, I hear one individual that I know very well keeps on talking about the elite over and over again, elite, 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 elite. Uh, you know, we need to focus on who's controlling the elite, who's giving power to the elite. Ephesians 6, verse 11, put on a whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I try to tell this person this all the time, and they keep on talking about the elite. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. If you don't know who your real enemy is, how can you fight and protect yourself from that enemy? So you have to understand who your real enemy is. And your real enemy is the devil, is not the tools that he's using. And that's who you need to protect yourself against and fight against by putting on the armor of God. Okay. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, or Hasatan, or Satan, which deceives or tricks the whole entire world, folks. He deceives the entire world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out. That's his job, is to, is to deceive the whole world. And he has his angels, folks. Well, he has his angels, but he also has his ministers. That's what I was trying to say as well. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 13. For such as false apostles, deceitful, tricky workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Verse 14. And no marvel, for Hasatan, or Satan himself, is transformed into an angel of light. Verse 15. Therefore, it is no great thing, no great thing, if his ministers or servants, that's what minister means in Greek, also be transformed as the servants or ministers of righteousness. What is righteousness? Psalm 119, verse 172. That's the commandments of God, but they have their own version of the commandments whose end shall be according to their works. All right, so realize that the devil has deceived the whole world for years, and he has made this world wicked, and he works through human beings, called the elite, and he continues to work in the children of disobedience, which the elite is definitely a part of. And that's who our real enemy is. So we must understand that. Now, 
Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 20. So what what does defile a man? Okay, let's let's look at this here. Let's look at what he stated here. I'm going to read this in the Hebraic version for clarity's sake. Mark 7, verse 20, in the complete Jewish Bible version, for clarity's sake, it is what comes out of a person he went that makes him unclean or defiles a man or woman, verse 21, for from within, out of a person's heart, come forth wicked thoughts, sexual immorality, which includes homosexuality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, indecency, envy, slander, arrogance, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they make a person unclean. So he's talking about the mind. That's what makes you unclean, folks. And Galatians chapter 5, you have to repent due to shuva of those things. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And you're not when you go to these silly movies, that's not going to help you repent of those things that I just described to you because in those movies, a lot of those things are in the movies that I just explained to you. Galatians 5, verse 16. What I am saying is this. Run your lives by the Spirit. Then you will do what your old... Then you will not do what your old nature wants. So he's saying, live your life by the Spirit. Now, I want you to pay attention in this passage of Scripture. It's very important for you to understand what I'm about to tell you here because... This will help you repent if you do what it says. And, and keep in mind, if you do what it says. So, in Galatians 5, verse 16, what I am saying is this, run your lives by the Spirit, then you will not do what your old nature wants. Verse 17, for the old nature wants what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit wants what is contrary to the old nature. That's the battle that each and every one of us have. These oppose each other so that you find yourselves unable to carry out your good intentions. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not in subjection to the system that results from perverting the Torah into legalism. Or you just do the commandments, but yet you, you're not doing it because it's the right thing. You're just doing it to put a show on and try to show how righteous you are. Verse 19, and it is perfectly evident what the old nature does. It expresses itself in sexual immorality, impurity, indecency, involvement with the occult and with drugs, and feuding, fighting, becoming jealous and getting angry, and selfish ambition, factionalism, intrigue, and envy and drunkenness, orgies, yes, sexual orgies, and things like these. I warn you now, as I have warned you before, those who do such things, will have no share in the kingdom of God. I hope you heard me very clearly, folks. Verse 22. Now, this is how you live a righteous life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. What is love? Romans 13, verse 10, is the fulfillment or keeping of God's commandments. Joy, peace. That, that peace also has something to do with keeping com uh, the commandments. Psalm 119, verse 165 says, Nothing shall offend those who keep the Torah or keep the law of God, and they shall have peace. Great peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Verse 22, humility, self-control. Nothing in the Torah stands against such things. Verse 24, moreover, those who belong to the Messiah, Yeshua, have put their old nature to death on the stake along with his passions and desires, or you should have. That's one of the things that he means when he says you shall take up your cross, in addition to be willing to suffer, as I explained last week in my program, uh, How Do You Handle Suffering?, uh, 
we need to also um, destroy the old nature with his passions and desires. Verse 25, since it is through the Spirit that we have life, let it also be through the Spirit that we order our lives day by day. Let us not become conceited or full of pride, provoking and envying each other. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is a prophecy of the 21st century. Moreover, 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, Moreover, understand this, in the uh, last days will come trying times. Verse 2. People will be self-loving. That's the first thing that t- Timothy stated here. Money-loving. And that's the descri- perfect description of this country, the United States and around the world. Self-loving, money-loving, proud, arrogant, insulting, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, uncontrolled, brutal, hateful of good, treacherous, headstrong, swollen with conceit, loving pleasure rather than God, loving pleasure rather than uh, loving God. That's what pornography is all about. Verse 5, as they retain the outer form of religion but deny its power, stay away from these people. For some of them warm their way into homes that get control of weak-willed women who are heaped with sins and swayed by various impulses who are always learning but never able to come to full knowledge of the truth. There's a lot of people out there that are book-wise and knowledgeable, but God is more concerned about you understanding morality, what's right and what's wrong. He's not concerned about how many degrees you have. He's concerned when you're going to get a degree from the University of the Kingdom of God and morality. That's what that kind of degree he wants you to get. Uh, First Peter, don't get me wrong, degrees help you, but it only helps you on this physical path or this life on the earth. God is concerned about you being in his kingdom, which is a spiritual realm. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the Messiah suffered physically, you too are to arm yourselves with the same attitude. For whoever has suffered physically is finished with sin. Verse 2, with the result that he lives the rest of his earthly life no longer controlled by human desires but by God's wills. Verse 3, for you have spent enough time already living in the way the pagans or people that don't have God in their lives, people who think I'm crazy um, because I'm conducting this Bible study or people who aren't believers, for you have spent enough time already living the way the pagans want you to live in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, wild parties, and forbidden idol worship. In verse 4, and many people think I'm strange, but they can think whatever they want. I'm not strange when it comes to the most powerful being in the universe. He doesn't think I'm strange living the way I'm living. Verse 4, they think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wickedness, and so they heap insults on you. Verse 5, but they will have to give an account to him who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Yeah, I, I know that. When people put me down or put others down that... that uh, do the best they can to, to keep the law like Yeshua, and then they put down. They are really heaping up uh, some. Uh, some. <laughs> let's put it this way, um, as this verse states here. But they will have to give an account to him who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. So that's a warning to anybody that uh, makes fun of or put someone down who is, is doing the best he can to keep the law of God, to keep the Shabbat, and keep the holy day, just like uh, Yeshua did. Psalm one hundred one, verse three. Psalm 101, verse 3. I will not allow before my eyes any shameful thing, 
And uh, let me read this in the King James Version. Uh, it says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. So that's very important. Again, what we look at on television and what we look at, period. I mean, if it's wicked, we shouldn't continue to look at it. We have to uh, run away from wickedness, folks. That's the only way you're going to be able to truly repent and have fruits worthy of repentance by doing that. Matthew 5, verse 28. And someone very well tells me that, you know, he doesn't think there's anything wrong with pornography, you know, and I don't see how he can say this uh, when Yeshua would totally disagree with him based on this comment here. In Matthew 5, verse 28, But I tell you that a man who even looks at a woman with the purpose of lusting after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, when you look at pornography, when you look at pornography, folks, okay, you're looking at women having sex. Um, no man, as far as I know, can sit and look at something like that and not be sexually aroused. All right? And when you're sexually aroused, you, you like what you're looking at, and you're lusting after the woman. And that is a sin. That is adultery. And um, fornication, in the Greek, is translated pornea, and, and, and that's how we got the word pornography. That's how we got the word pornography, if you ever wondered uh, where we got the word pornography from. And Second Peter, and remember, people that look at pornography, your chances of entering the kingdom of God, <laughs> unless you were never taught, well, if you listen to me, you are taught that it's wrong now. <laughs> so, <laughs> But for those who never been taught that it was wrong, they'll have a chance, but once you're told that it's wrong, you continue to do it, uh, it's going to be bad for you, according to what the scriptures state, if you don't repent of that. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 14. For they have eyes always on the lookout for a woman who will commit adultery, eyes that never stop sinning, and they have a heart that has exercised itself in greed so that they seduce unstable people with a cruise broad or brood. And it's talking about wicked people here in this context here. In verse 12, it talks about, um, this is in the context of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, which I hope to be able to talk about today. But it says uh, in Second Peter 2, verse 12, But these people, acting without thinking, like animals without reason, born to be captured and destroyed, insult things about which they have no knowledge. When they are destroyed, their destruction will be total. So, again, wicked people, folks, will be destroyed. The Bible doesn't teach that wicked people are going to live forever and ever and ever. They're going to be totally destroyed. As the scripture states here, when they are destroyed, their destruction will be total. Verse 13. They will be paid back harm as wages for the harm they are doing. The idea of pleasure is carousing in broad daylight. They are spots and defects reveling in their deceptions as they, as they share meals with you. For they have eyes always on the lookout for a woman who will commit adultery. So they thinking with their sexual organs. Eyes that never stop sinning, and they have a heart that has exercised itself in greed, so that they seduce unstable people with a curse brood. So anyway, you, you don't want to be those type of people. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2. It says, No good comes from ill-gotten wealth, but righteousness rescues from death. I don't know, you know, it's Psalm. Chapter 10, verse 2, I think. Let's see. Yeah, Psalms, I'm sorry. Psalms, chapter 10, verse 2. 
I'm reading this in the King James. The wicked in his pride does persecute the poor. So the wicked in his pride, and you have to avoid pride. I'm talking about the pride of life. I've talked about the lust of the flesh, uh, the lust of the eyes. Now I'm going to talk about pride and how we should eliminate pride out of our lives. The wicked in his pride does persecute the poor. And then verse 4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. So if you have a problem thinking about God all day, thank God I don't have a problem with that. But if you have a problem not thinking about God in all any of your thoughts, God says you, you're wicked and you have pride. Uh, because people that are prideful will not seek after God. And what is the word pride in the original Hebrew here in this in this scripture? Uh, it means goba, and it means arrogance, haughty. Just you're just full of yourself. People that are full of themselves just think about themselves. Don't seek after God. They're too busy thinking about themselves. And you have to repent of that. Proverbs uh, chapter eight, verse thirteen. Proverbs chapter eight, verse thirteen says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way. There's a good way and there's an evil way. And the forward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 13, verse 10. It's a book of wisdom. Only by pride comes contention. What is contention in the original Hebrew? Matzol. It means a quarrel. Debates. Arguments, unrighteous arguments. Okay? It says only by pride comes unrighteous arguments, debates, strife, but what the well advises wisdom. So you gotta eliminate pride. Pride causes contention, it causes arguments. If you're not willing to shut up and listen to somebody, then that's foolish according to what the Bible states here. Proverbs chapter sixteen, verse eighteen. Says pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Verse nineteen: Better is it, it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Again, let me underscore that: Better it is to be of a humble spirit, of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil within the proud. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. That's what it's stating there. Very important to understand that. Very important to understand that. Okay, and Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23. It says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So you don't want to have the pride of life, pride in possessions, because you're going to be brought low. And Isaiah chapter 28 is an example of this nationally. Isaiah chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Now, you need to go to this website so you understand what I'm talking about. Uh, org. Ephraim, when it's talked about here in the Bible, is talking about the 12 tribes of Israel, which the United States and Canada and Britain... Uh, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, the countries in Northwestern Europe are a part of, whether you believe it or not. 
Go to that website, www.beasinboyritam.org, for proof. Biblical and secular, outside the Bible, proof. But anyway, it says, Woe, a great sorrow to the crown of pride. We got pride in this country, don't we, in the United States. To the drunkards of Ephraim. <laughs> it's talking about spiritually and physically drunk, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower as I'm speaking. That's what's happening to this country. We are fading. We are fading. Which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. And I've already explained to you how God, probably in a humorous way, calls us Jezreel, okay, that we wax fat. That's in, I think that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 32, in that chapter, one of those chapters, 31, 32. Uh, in one of those chapters, is, is, he talks about how fat we are as a nation. We're one of the fattest nations in the world. And I, I tell people that a real easy way to figure out who Israel is, where are the fattest, where are the regions of the world where the, the fattest and richest people live at? The ones I just mentioned to you, uh, Canada, United States, the countries in northwestern Europe, um, France. France, as I keep on forgetting, that the, this is the first time I think I've announced on this program that France is also one of the tribes of Israel. Um, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia. Those are certainly people that are fat and rich, the majority. Even the poor in this country are richer than people in, in uh, poor countries around the world, in Kenya and, and, and other countries. So we fulfill this. Verse 2, Behold, the Lord have a mighty and strong one, which has a tempest of hell and a destroying storm as a flood of mighty waters. Again, he uses the weather, folks, to get our attention. Overflowing shall cast down to the earth with the hand. Verse 3, the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under feet. So this doesn't look good for us, folks. Verse 4, and the glorious beauty which is on the head of the fat valley shall be a fading flower. So he looks at us as a fat valley. We have so much, and yet we have so little. We have so little in the area of common sense and understanding the Bible. As the hasty fruit before the summer, which when he looketh upon his sea, seeth, while it is yet in his hand, he eateth it up. And that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. It's talking about the coming of the Messiah, verse 6. And for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment, that's the Messiah again, and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. Verse 7. But they also have erred through wine. So he immediately went to the solution to the problem, the Messiah. He's going to come back and straighten us out. Hell, he goes back to what our problem is, verse 7. But they also have erred through wine. And through strong drink are out of the way. The priests and the prophet have erred. They did it back then. They're doing it today. Through strong drink, they are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way. Through strong drink, they err in vision and being able to uh, see the future. They stumble in judgment. Yes we, yes, we do. We're stumbling in judgment right now as I'm speaking. To have allowed abortion to go on for so long since the, the worst ruling in the United States court history, Roe versus Wade, it happened in 1972 for us to kill, I know in the 1970s we were killing 4,000 babies, murdering 4,000 babies every single day, shedding innocent blood, the Bible calls that. That's one of the, that's how you shed innocent blood, by allowing abortions. And it's amazing that God hasn't wiped us out already. It tells you how merciful he is and how compassionate he is and patient. 
and he's waiting for us to repent as a nation before he really, really gives us the the boom, folks. And it's coming. I can tell you confidently out of the Bible it's coming. But we can avoid this if we do what Jeremiah states in Jeremiah 18, verse 7. Let's turn there. Let's turn there. Oh, I didn't read verse 8 here of this scripture. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness. Okay, that's the way he looks at our leaders and our religious leaders. Uh, they're teaching mostly vomit, according to what he, the way he looks at it. And I can agree with him because most churches are just entertainment and, and it's just there basically for the minister to make money off the people. And uh, very few churches are really sincerely trying to preach the truth. They're just trying to make the people happy to forget their problems and not... Uh, they don't teach them to learn how to repent of their problems and do teshuva to become a better person. That's what the gospel is all about. What scripture I was going to go to? Um, yeah, Jeremiah chapter 18. And I may go over again, folks. Uh, I thought I had enough time. Here's 11 minutes and 4 seconds. So if I go over uh, the program, I cut off, but you can get the rest of the program in its entirety. Uh, I'm thinking perhaps I probably may need to go 15 minutes over. So. But this is very important. This is more important than a Batman movie, a Spider-Man movie, or anything that else that you waste your time on. Uh, this is uh, life-changing information for you. So I just hope that you take this just as serious, if not more serious, than looking at a Batman movie or Spider-Man or whatever else you want to do. Okay, um, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7. At what instance I shall speak concerning a nation? And concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it. Verse 8, if that nation against whom I have pronounced, whom I have pronounced, turn or do teshuva from their evil, turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil or change of the evil that I thought to do unto them. That applies to any nation. God is an equal opportunity. God doesn't care what uh, what type of race you are. Okay, we are all the human race, but we have different variations of the human race, so different types, colors, shapes. Okay, he doesn't care, although he would love for us to, to have uh, perfect bodies. Uh, we shouldn't have fat flying all over the place on our behinds and stomach and all that. I'm going to give a Bible study. I don't know I don't know if I'm going to do it next week, but soon, hopefully next two, three months. Um, please pray to God that I'll be able to, to have the time to, to um, do it. And prepare for it, but need to do a Bible study on health and how we could take care of ourselves and how we can lose weight and eat the right foods, biblically. But anyway, before I go off on that tangent, um, Isaiah chapter 3, verse 16. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 16. This is a prophecy about the women of Zion, the daughters of Zion, uh, indicating a prophecy of the future, and uh, this can not this can apply just not just the daughters of Jerusalem, but also the daughters of the United States because a lot of the the whole world is influenced by the United States folks, <laughs> particularly when it comes to pornography and and, and wickedness that involves sex. Verse sixteen, Isaiah three verse sixteen. Moreover, the Lord says, be, be, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, they got pride. And walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes. And that wanton eyes, it, it, it means, uh, actually the word uh, is sokar, and it means, it's a verb meaning to flirt. It describes the seductive eyes of the proud women of Judah. And like I said, I expanded it also 
to refer to all the rest of the tribes of Israel, eyes painted for the purpose of flirting, looking enticing. Nothing wrong with painting their eyes, but if you're doing it to attract men and to seduce men, that's wrong. And a lot of that's going on right now. Walking and mincing as they go and making a twinkling with their feet. So it's just um, the word twinkling, that this, this is a verb meaning to jingle an ornament or bracelet. It is used of the seductive, sophisticated women of Zion who tinkle or jingle foot jewelry. They did that back then. They're doing it today. That's why, again, in Ephesians 2, verse 20, the assembly of the believers of God is based on the foundation of the prophets, which is a uh, Jewish idiom to mean, the um, Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the apostles, which is the New Testament or the restored covenant scriptures. All right, so we, we have to understand that. In Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 28, says, Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. Verse 29, But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone. Here we go again with fire. Fire has a lot to do with the second coming of the Messiah, folks. <laughs> it's one of the most important things about the return, uh, the return of the Messiah. Fire has a lot to do with this from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30 is the key verse to understand that fire has a lot to do with his second coming. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So he's saying, similar to what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and brimstone is going to rain down from heaven. Remember that day is a day where people are going to be burning like an oven. Those who are wicked will be burnt up like it and be put in an oven. That's that's the way it's going to be. Ezekiel chapter 16. Let's understand what the sins of Sodom are. I've gone over this many times in my program, and I'm going to do it again. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, which is not of the Father, right? Fullness of bread, that's having an abundance of, of, of resources. An abundance of idleness, laziness. That's, that's what happens when you look at television, look at these movies and play these video games. You become lazy and you don't do things when you're supposed to do it and, and you just get distracted. It was in her and in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination, which sexual abomination, including homosexuality, is a part of, before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw. Now, he's comparing the world, the state of the world, to Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Jude 1, verse 7, or Jude, verse 7, because there's only one chapter. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication, pornelia, pornography, okay, and going after strange flesh. This strange flesh in this context was angelic flesh because when angels manifest themselves, uh, you can see them, that's angelic flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. If you remember the account there in Genesis chapter 19, they were lusting after the male angels, the other men. Okay, and Second Peter chapter two verses six to eight. 
2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 to 8. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should live ungodly. So for those that live ungodly, that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be turned into ashes, just like uh, in Malachi chapter 4 it says uh, that the wicked shall be ashes under the souls of the righteous. Verse 7, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation, the filthy conversation or behavior of the wicked. Verse 8, for the, that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed, or he was in pain, he was in mental torment, his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And see, that's what Sodom and Gomorrah was all about. They had unlawful deeds, and I read to you what those unlawful deeds were, pride and uh, being lazy, having too much, and, and not sharing it with the poor. They didn't care about the poor. And, of course, they did abominations, sexual abominations. That's what this world, in particular this country, the United States, and the other tribes, of, modern tribes of Israel, that's what we uh, excel in today. We don't excel in keeping God's law. We excel in wickedness, unfortunately. Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Read this in the complete Jewish Bible version here. No, actually in the revised. Uh, no, I'll read this in the, yeah, I'll read in the easy-to-read version. Some people there with Jesus at that time told him about what had happened to some worshippers from Galilee. Pilate had them killed. Their blood was mixed with the blood of animals that they had bought for sacrifice. In verse 2, Jesus answered, Do you think this happened to those people because they were more sinful than all the people from Galilee? Verse 3, No, they were not. But if you don't decide now to change your lives, repent. That means do, do teshuva, repent. But if you don't decide now to change your lives, you will all be destroyed like these people. Verse 4, and what about those 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more sinful than everyone else in Jerusalem? Verse 5, they were not. But I tell you, if you don't decide now to change your lives, you will all be destroyed too. Won't live again. That's what he's talking about. Matthew chapter 18, so you know, you know the gospel is about changing, folks. If you don't want to change, you're not going to be around. Uh, you're going to be destroyed. Matthew 18, verse 1. About that time, the followers came to Jesus. I'm reading this in the easy-to-read version again. And asked, who is the greatest in God's kingdom? Verse 2 of Matthew chapter 18. Jesus called a little child to come to him. He stood in the child in front of the, of the followers. In verse 3, then he said, the truth is you must change your thinking and become like little children. If you don't do this, you will never enter God's kingdom. Again, in verse 3, then he said, The truth is you must change your thinking and become like little children. If you don't do this, you will never enter God's kingdom. This message is for every know-it-all on the planet. You think you know everything. He's saying you don't know everything. Uh, when he first came on the earth, Jesus, he said, repent. So he was telling us we all don't know nothing. We need to, I mean, nothing as far as truly knowing what we need to know to, to enter the kingdom of God. He says, the truth is you must change your thinking and become like little children. If you don't do this, you will never enter the God's kingdom. You will never enter God's kingdom. Verse 4, the greatest person in God's kingdom is the one who makes himself humble like this child. It's plain and simple. Then Jeremiah chapter 16. Oh, I'm going to get, okay. 
I'm on the recording now. So, Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16, starting at verse 19. It says, Lord, you are my strength and my protection. You are safe. You are a safe place to run to in time of trouble. The nations will come to you from all around the world. They will say, our fathers had false gods. They worshipped these worthless idols, but the idols did not help them. Verse 20, can people make real gods for themselves? No. They can only make statues that are really not gods. And this is not a good translation of this, folks. Let me... Um, that's an easy-to-read version. I have to be careful about using these versions sometimes. Anyway, uh, the English Standard Version, which is a word-from-word translation, it actually translated from the original Hebrew, uh, verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. So that's what has happened, folks. Uh, we have inherited lies from our past generations, whether you want to believe that or not, it's the truth. And I must tell you the truth. And you know, you should understand now but that, that the devil played a, a significant role in us inheriting lies from our past generations. Romans chapter 12. This is in the English Standard Version of the Bible. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. This is what this whole Bible study is about. Don't, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be yoked to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We have to renew our minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. So we should be focusing on, on heaven, folks. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. So when you are greedy and you lust after things that is not yours, that's idolatry. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. I told you what that wrath's about. Verse 7, and these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, and what is true, true is the doctrines of God, truth. Psalm 119, verse 142 is all the teachings and doctrines of God is found in the Bible. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, these are the things we need to think about, not silliness and stupid stuff that's found in these movies. We don't need to focus our minds or video games. We don't need to focus our minds on those things or, you know, whatever else uh, you do to waste your time, looking at sports games all day. or uh, You know, that that's okay, but we shouldn't focus on that all day, folks. 
the world is too wicked. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? The temple of God in this context of the people of God. For we are the temple of the living God, and the idols are not the people of God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. When it means don't touch no unclean thing, that means don't eat any unclean foods, not human beings, because that's what Peter tried to explain to him. Uh, you know, human beings aren't considered unclean things. It's uh, the food that we eat is unclean, that destroys our bodies. But that's another Bible study in itself. Then Revelation 18 is my last scripture here. Revelation 18, 1 to 4. After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the Great. And I explained what Babylon the Great is and uh, uh, what is the beast uh, that... Uh, Bible lesson that I gave, uh, what is the beast? Revelation 18, verse 2, And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And then verse 4, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that not you take part in her sins, that not you share in her plagues. Verse 5, For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So I, I really hope this Bible study will help you to understand that you must not love the world, the things in the world, and the Bible describes those things as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, I explain using the scriptures what those things are. And and, and I hope this, this Bible study will motivate you to do Teshuvah, to repent, get the wickedness out of you, focus on God. Please listen to the programs that I created that they help you on your way to understanding the true God of the Bible, in particular the... Um, the basic doctrines of God. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 2, reveals those. The first basic doctrine of God is repentance from dead works. The second one is trust or faith in God. The third one is the doctrine of washings. The King James Version says baptisms. It should be translated washings. The fourth one is the laying on of hands. The fifth one is the resurrection of the dead. And the sixth one is eternal judgment. I did a program on each and every one of those. Those programs will help you do Teshuvah. It will help you repent and to change your mind and to help you to understand the Bible because whenever you start obeying the Scriptures, as revealed in Acts 5, verse 32, uh, he gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Then you're going to be on your way toward entering the kingdom of God. 
So may God bless and keep you, and God willing, I'll be available for you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.